Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. My name is Misha Bush, and today I talk to Fergal Smith from Ireland. He's a former pro surfer who decided to become a farmer using regenerative agriculture principles. He's now managing Moy Hill, a farm with more than 60 acres of land on which they are planting trees, building soil, and growing food for the community. Please enjoy the conversation. And if you like uh, this interview or others, please subscribe to the channel and leave a comment below to let us know what you think of it. You can also follow me on social media, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Misha.Bush. And now without further ado, Fergal Smith. Well, again, Fergal, thank you for being on this call. Uh, I really appreciate it. And also just wanted to express that I have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing with uh, Moy Hill Farm. Um, so thanks for being here. And you're very welcome. And it's, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And yeah, hopefully I can share some of our story. Cool. Uh, let's go back a little bit in time. Um, it's obviously something you you have talked and are talking about uh, a lot. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about your surfing background. That's yeah, yeah, kind of a, a big big thing about your uh, your uh, personal brand almost, if I can say like that. But definitely of your life story. Um, yeah. What was it about surfing that attracted you at an early age? So no, I was chatting to someone recently about it and it's not like I didn't try other sports like I, I tried it all and um, yeah but once I tried surfing there wasn't anything else anymore it was uh, right and it was hard because surfing unless you're on the beach becomes quite a a sport that you're driving a lot you know back and forward and we were you know an hour drivery from you know where where I grew up so it wasn't easy and you know our parents my parents rent, rent, still run an organic vegetable farm so they didn't have a lot of free time yeah but yeah once i once i tried surfing there was nothing else that would really replace it um why i just think it's it's kind of you know it's so unique and special to be riding a such a changeable um piece of nature like it's never it's not like going to a skate park or a basketball court or whatever every time you go it's going to be different yeah and even though nine times out of ten it's generally not as good as you want the, but there's always that magic in what will it be like and you know will i be able to ride a better wave it's there's so much unknown i think in the in going surfing you don't know what the waves gonna be like you don't know what you're gonna be able to do on the waves it's all very uh exciting whereas you know other sports maybe are a little bit more kind of you know swimming or whatever it's very steady you you kind of get little little goals whereas surfing all of a sudden you could just be on the best way of your life you never knew it was going to happen and it just you know and then you're kind of blown away and then you once you have one of those feelings which comes from the very first wave you ever catch that feeling and then you're kind of always you know drawn back to i wonder could i get an experience like that again and yeah. Now, now I know how to do that much. I wonder, can I do this much? And it just kind of, yeah. But I think it's very, it's so unpredictable. The yeah, that makes it really enticing. And yeah, you're always wondering how good the waves are going to be. And mm. yeah, you're kind of you get sucked into the whole whole thing of it. So yeah, I think that's. Why is, I found it, is there a fear factor? Uh, I don't know. At, at some point, still, maybe you're not scared of anything anymore. But is there still a part in you that that not not like fear, but like a sort of a, a thrill of, yeah, you know, it, it, it's going to be uh, exciting. Yeah, you know, there's always fear, like, the, that that's the, 
I don't know. It's interesting when people look at surfers riding crazy waves, they think the, the surfer is crazy. Yeah. But, um, you know, the wave is crazy, but the surfer has actually spent, you know, hours and hours and hours of really, you know, working their way up to it. So what they're actually doing is the same as you going for your first surf. Right. You know, it's for them, they've, you know, they've worked their way up. So I find surfers that are doing really crazy things are generally very um, calm and calculated and they know their body, they know their equipment. It's actually, it looks crazy, but it's very calculated. Um, so there's, the fear is always there because otherwise you get hurt and otherwise, yeah. you know, you get in trouble. So the fear keeps the, the, the level of how far you can push it and you go a little bit more each time. And yeah, you just kind of got to work with the, where you're at. And it's, it's a very slow thing. Like, cause if you imagine surfing, you know, it's how many seconds are you actually standing up? You could be out there for two hours, but you might only be standing up for 30 seconds in the whole two hours. Yeah. yeah. So you've got 30 seconds of learning until the next time you go back. And that could be a day or two days or a week later, and then you get another 30 seconds. So it's a very slow sport to gain experience in. You can't just, you know, go on the skate ramp for four hours and keep practicing. It doesn't work with that. So yeah it, the, the fear and the unpredictability makes it a you know it's not something you can just throw fear out the window and go for it because there's so so much risk involved yeah that, uh, yeah takes a bit of time did you ever uh, envy other sports where because you mentioned you have such a small window of opportunity sometimes to to actually get to gain experience and train and with other sports, if you do running, obviously it can be much more structured. Again, like I'm going to one hour yeah. of exactly this. Yeah, like, you know, you might have just kind of, oh, I wish I could surf as much as I could go, yeah, running or skateboarding or cycling. But, yeah. you know, you're not, uh, you're not envious in the way that you know what the experience of surfing is. So you're kind of, that that is far more, you've tried skateboarding, you've tried, you know, cycling and they don't quite do it. So surfing is... Uh, yeah, yeah, there's no other way. You can't override all that, but yeah, it's right. it can be frustrating, especially in Ireland where the the weather is so changeable that it's not you know if you're in Hawaii or California or somewhere where the weather's a bit more consistent, um, the waves can be good for maybe days and days, and it's a bit more regular. But right. in Ireland, you might have two hours where it's the best day of the year, and then after that, it might be good for weeks. Yeah, so it's a, it's a hard one to uh, to work with, but. It also makes it more exciting, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that sounds like one way of kind of countering that unpredictability of of, uh, of the opportunity of getting to service, to travel to places where you get a little bit more opportunity, let's say. And from what I understood, that's also the traveling part was one of the reasons for you to say like, okay, I can't do this anymore. This is too much pressure on the environment, on the world. I have to do something else that, that I can do to contribute more to to promoting a good cause. Was there a specific moment for you where you when you realized you wanted to step out, like something just happened or somebody said something? Do you remember that? Yeah, no, it was very clearly a point. And I, yeah, it definitely built up over years. And because of my kind of background in organic horticulture, it was always niggling away at me that, you know, the surfing lifestyle wasn't really that... Uh, environmentally friendly but i was you know pretty headstrong surf head who didn't get too bothered by it for a long time and just wanted to surf and then yeah i was in tahiti 
uh, I go away every kind of, so when the season here ends is kind of April, May, well, even March, April, when the storms slow down. Yeah. And then I go away for the summer and then I come back in like September. So I just headed off to Tahiti for the whole summer and I was there about two weeks and I had a really bad uh, knee injury. I smashed my knee off the reef and I didn't know if I was going to have to go home or could I keep traveling. So I was just laid up for about another two weeks at a friend's house and just sitting on the couch wondering if my knee was going to get better or not. And it was the same time as uh, the nuclear plant in Japan was sinking into the sea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember what that year is, 2010, maybe 2011. I'm not sure. Yeah. But anyway, whenever that was, and uh, you know, Japan, I'm in Tahiti, we're in the same ocean. And I don't know, it just hit me really hard that I was like, that's not good. And yeah, what am I, what am I actually doing that's, you know, helping the planet that I live on? And yeah, it kind of, I, I had that light bulb moment or that feeling of, yeah, that didn't sit well. And then, yeah, basically within, you know, a kind of a flash, my whole way of life was kind of over. I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And right. I thought about it for a few days and I thought about what else could I do and um, you know, what are all the options of making the biggest impact that I can while I'm, you know, young and fit and able. And but it all hit me very quickly that I knew I needed to go back and yeah, yeah. start farming. Yeah. And you did. What what was yeah. the what was the first year like for you? Well, you know, if anyone knows about like uh being hooked on something, um it's very hard to go cold turkey and uh just quit it overnight and expect that, you know, you're just gonna adapt fine so i yeah so when i came, when i decided i i was going to come back and i emailed all my sponsors and told my family that that was it now i'm gonna you know come home and we start farming and that was it i can't fly anymore it was a yeah it was a big shock to to everyone and myself and i was like okay i'm gonna have to integrate this in not a one fail swoop and i also i wasn't moving back to my parents farm i was living in now a different county that I'm not from, I didn't have family, I didn't have any land. So, you know, as much as I was saying I was going back farming, I didn't have any land. And yeah, so it wasn't going to happen overnight. And I realized that. So yeah, I, I kind of still traveled up and down the country and surf lows. I think the next year I still did another flight. I did one more just to kind of wean myself off. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, kind of word got out what I was interested in and kind of, you know, I, a friendly businessman that I know said I could use half an acre. So that was like, that's a nice little start. And I started with a community garden there. And again, I wasn't, you know, I was still surfing and it wasn't a big shock to my lifestyle. And then he said I could borrow an acre and then I was using the acre and the half acre. And we did that for two years. And then, then land came for sale from, well, it didn't come for sale, just neighbors knew what we were doing and we, he, they knew we were on borrowed land. And it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. And then they said, oh, there's these 17 acres that haven't really been used for years. You should ask the owner. And yeah, the owner was interested and bought that. And then two years after that, land came for sale right next door to us. And yeah, which very rarely happens. And we didn't have any money, but we bought it anyway and uh, got ourselves into huge amounts of debt. And yeah, we're still in the process of paying that off. But yeah, so it's awesome. taken, you know, seven, eight years of a process 
to be now with the farm, building up kind of the, the whole infrastructure of the place. Right. It didn't happen overnight. That first year was kind of just coming back and, and surfing and hanging out and not really, you know, farming for you know quite some years, really. It was all steps. And I think that's the whole thing. And that's why I stopped. Like, I was probably 24 at the time when I was in Tahiti. And I remember saying, like, you know, I'm still quite young. I, should, I don't have to settle down and become a farmer overnight but i know how long it takes i know how long it takes to kind of integrate into a community and build up infrastructure and gain experience so i was like if i start now i'll actually in 10 years time be in a place where i'm running a farm if i wait until i'm in my 30s yeah, it'll yeah. Take another five or six years so i'm you know i'm 33 now so it's been uh it's been a process and now you know the farm is running and we kind of can get going but yeah it, nothing happens overnight in farming so i kind of realized that and that's why I, I made the clear cut to stop traveling because you can't really be farming and traveling at the same time so yeah yeah well i guess nothing if, if it was easy everybody would do it so exactly, yeah. yeah and how was it for you mentally because obviously uh everybody can stay motivated for a week or so but to stay motivated when there's obstacles on the way and uh, and it takes a long time. How was it for you to, uh, especially the first few years to, to go through? Yeah, like to be honest, um, I've, I've never ever questioned, you know, my decision or like, was it a good idea? Should I have kept my sponsorship and kept surfing for another couple of years? Like, no, I've never looked back going, I wish I'd done more surfing. Like, cause yeah, it's very hard to explain, but the subtle benefits of, you know, being in one place and being committed to an area and building up, you know, nice relationships with your neighbors and, you know, being connected to something that's long lasting. It's hard to explain to someone who's still on the surfing traveling buzz yeah. because they haven't felt it. But, you know, the subtle feelings of being in one place and being a purpose to an area. Yeah, it, it kind of starts to be a more wholesome feeling than any wave or buzz that literally only lasts for, you know, kind of seconds and then you're chasing it again. So, yeah. And then the big difference is that, and a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, I wasn't a surfer who became a farmer. You know, I was a farmer, his son who became a surfer. Yeah. So for me, going back farming is kind of just completely natural. Like there's no, it, it's kind of like how I grew up. This is what I experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not a surprise. And I think it would be very, it is very hard for surfers or anyone not from a farming background to be living a certain lifestyle and then try and transition transition to farming when they don't know what it is. Yeah. Because it is. It's very unrewarding, you know, overnight. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, and no real uh, instant gratification. Um, so I think that is very difficult for people who don't know what farming is. But for me. You know, that's what I grew up doing and I loved it. I always loved helping my dad. So it's not a, a surprise to me. And I just feel kind of right more at ease in that kind of lifestyle, I think. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. You knew what you were getting into. Uh, yeah. so, so then it's easier to, uh, you, you could see things coming that, that the challenge is on, on the way. So I guess one of the success factors uh, is that you already knew what you were going to get into. Um, and besides the effective ways of like actually growing the food, what would you say are other some key success factors for making your current uh, farming business profitable, profitable and, and uh, how do you make it grow? 
Yeah, I think it is the attitude and, and like the, the understanding that it's going to be hard work. And like any business, you know, you don't get a, a business off the ground overnight. You know, it takes three, five years kind of thing. And I think with, you know, when you're working with seasons and nature, you know, you're, you've only got one season to make so much of a change. And then you got to reevaluate and then make another step the next year. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be looking at a lot of different farmers that are further ahead down down the line than me who are more successful and they all kind of say the same thing like you got to give it 10 years you know of really going at it before you're going to see if it's actually working or not and yeah so i was very aware of that that it wasn't going to happen overnight and i think that attitude keeps you in the game and not lose yeah lose enthusiasm and kind of get down because it is definitely hard to keep the energy up because basically you're taking on a a pretty bad business model where you work endless hours you don't really get paid for it it's huge capital expenses in the beginning of buying land paying for infrastructure so you you know you're looking at 10 15 year turnaround to ever kind of pay all that stuff back yeah so it's not it's not a, a business that you would do for financial reasons um if that's why you're getting into it now long term it is a, a very stable occupation everyone needs to eat so it's not a it's not a bad business to be in but when you start from zero and start from buying everything from scratch it's a very uh hard business to you know to really see as the the pros for it now i think if you're inheriting a farm um it's much easier you know you've got all the infrastructure and the land paid for that's that's something you can get up and going a lot quicker but when you're starting from a total outside position it's a big it's a big undertaking and yeah i think knowing that is the main thing that we'll see through kind of making it work yeah yeah well you are basically past that stage i mean you're you're almost paying off your debt and you you've built the infrastructure you have the actual farm with all the land what are your current biggest obstacles uh that you're facing yeah that's a good question um for me personally, I think my biggest hurdle is like I'm a doer and I work hard and, you know, I don't really worry about the workload. Um, but, you know, I'm not a businessman, you know, I'm a farmer in a sense. And that's a big problem in farming is farmers love farming and love being on the land and they love working hard. But it comes down to, you know, marketing and accounts and all these things that farmers can't really pay people to do because they don't make enough money. So you actually to make a successful farming business, you need to get good at those things. And I've, you know, quite happily ignored a lot of that stuff because I'm much happier getting stuck into infrastructure or whatever needs to be done. And, but now we're at that stage of a lot of that's off the ground. Yeah, there's a whole phase of me actually getting behind the scenes and figuring out the, yeah, the business side of things and getting that really clear in my head. So I know what I'm working towards and that's, that's stuff that I've, you know, definitely need to work on. And then, yeah, it's like, you know, the scale thing of like, it's much easier. Most farms are just standalone farmer. You know, it's the farmer and the family and that's it. And that's very easy to manage, but you can only do so much then, you know, you can only manage so many things. And for me, you know, the, a successful farm is a diverse farm with as many different enterprises as possible. So you're then, diversity on the land makes a, a whole um, array of 
ecosystem benefits of having diversity into the ecosystem. But then you know you can't you can't do everything. So then you're looking into employing people, and that brings a whole other thing in farming. And most people, unless they have a farming background, they don't understand the the workload and how much goes into keeping a farm going. So then one of the biggest challenges I think in farming that we have, especially in the Western world, is we just have a knowledge and skills drought. We don't have experienced young farmers who, you know, know the ins and outs of farming very well. You know, with people from a farming background, but then they might be, they may, might have more of a conventional background, which is sometimes hard to rewire. But then we also have really new people who know the science and all the benefits of regenerative farming, but they don't have a farming background. So they yeah. don't have the work ethic that comes with farming. So it's very hard to find people like, you know, I'm not claiming I know, you know, the stats, but like people who would be training a lot of farmers in the Western world, you know, on internships, they say, if you got one in a hundred through an internship that actually can be an employee, cool. maybe two or three, you'd be doing well. Yeah. Because yeah. there is no nine to five in farming and you really, yeah, you work, you work hard. Unless you work really, really hard, you ain't getting paid. Like, whereas most jobs you turn up and you get paid. Yeah. So it's, it's a, that's a hard thing. So we're at that stage now where we need to start making the farm, you know, a proper business and then really having people who really know what they're doing. But then you need to make sure they do know what they're doing so you can pay them properly. So there's just that, that stage. So I'm in the point now where I'm having a new guy who's really good and give him a year of an internship and hopefully he can do it. And then he'll be, you know, managing the whole side of the farm as an employee. And that's, that's hopefully where it goes, but it's also a big step and it's, you know, you want to make sure you get it right because financially it's, it's always kind of risky with a farm. Like everything in farming is a risk between the weather, the marketplace, um, yeah. your own health. You know, if your health goes down, you know, the business instantly suffers. So, you know, there's a lot goes into, there's a lot of risk in farming at all times. And so it's trying to make it as robust as possible in a, very variable uh yeah uh, business so yeah but yeah that's it. It, it what if you if somebody gave you a billion dollars what is there anything you would because it doesn't sound like those problems are necessarily solvable with money it's more that uh they might they they, they exist because there's not so much margin or you you have all that risk always involved yeah, no, uh, money definitely isn't the total answer. Um, it depends on your context. So, and it depends what enterprises you run. Because um, farming is, you know, a very uh, broad, uh, broad sector. And you could be involved in horticulture or poultry or, you know, field scale veg or livestock. Um, the simpler the, the simpler enterprises to run, which you could run on bigger scale and on your own is livestock. Um, they're much a hand, you know, you just got to move animals, you know, cows, sheep, even goats, um, you move them daily onto fresh grass, and that's essentially it. Now, there's a lot of infrastructure to set up, but that's a big cost. But the big one is the act, the, the actually acquiring of land, you know. So, uh, a livestock enterprise is very simple to run, but you need hundreds of acres to make that a proper enterprise. So we only have, you know, about 60 acres. So we're in a kind of a, a strange bracket where 
livestock is what I'd love to do in lots of ways because it's a the lovely thing about livestock is you can manage huge tracts of land very easily and you're probably making the biggest regenerative effect you can make on the on the ecosystem so there's the biggest effect on the land mass and it's the easiest for labor but you need to have the resource base yeah. which is a hard one so if you had the billion dollars i would be buying more land or leasing more land and having more livestock but when you don't have that then you have to diversify your enterprises down into smaller scale enterprises that don't need as much land and that goes into the poultry which is a really good one again it regenerates land um it's a, it doesn't need as big land base but there's a lot more labor input and that's where you need people who know what they're doing and you can't expect to manage all of it so yeah it's 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 kind of complex and it, it also depends on what your um your marketplace is like is there a demand for certain things and how far you have to travel and you're right right, right. In it. but yeah yeah well it does seem the uh, regenerative agriculture uh movement is growing over the years so uh, i hope there's also a bigger labor pool for you to uh to choose from in the future as you mentioned it, it's, it's hard to to find good people that a have the knowledge and b also have the work ethic and uh and know that it's not just a nine to five and yeah. uh know what to put in um yeah. in um your ted talk uh that's available on youtube you mentioned that that farmers are often not really up to date when it comes to things like the internet and facebook and that there would be a big opportunity for them to change their business model if they would make more use of those things and make a more uh, sustainable income, uh, I would say. Um, In a lot of industries, you see that the internet is taking out the middleman and that brands are going like uh, direct to consumer without having a distribution uh, chain or like a a reseller in between. Um, What do you think will happen on like the large scale with with food in that regard do you think supermarkets are going to disappear and that we're going to see much more people buying directly from farms i i certainly hope so right. um yeah the supermarket is you know it's a hard one because they employ so many people but they would be the root cause of a lot of uh, our agricultural problems um they would be very much a part of the, the capitalist model of you know, they can say, oh, we've got, you know, big buying power and we can get it cheaper from France. So why don't we, why don't you lower your price? Otherwise you don't get it. And that's been going on since the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Where at the beginning, it was a nice idea where one guy sold all the farmer's products and the farmer could keep working and got the price and he just kept working. Whereas then they were the middleman and they said, oh, I can get it cheaper here. And then that, that's kind of, that's been going on for a long time and yeah basically you can't sell produce to, through those uh, models because you're just never going to make any money like and you're you're just running faster and faster to try and make anything yeah whereas yeah, yeah the biggest opportunity for farmers is selling direct and yeah it's great time it's when you know internet is really catching on and online sales and all that kind of stuff and but this is the, the this is the the transition bit where the farmers generally aren't marketers or salespeople, and where you know either sons and daughters of the farmer or a customer of of a farm that really wants to support them needs to come in and help these farmers right. and cut out the middleman because why is the middleman getting you know eighty five percent of the value? Well, they didn't produce the food, and so what happens is like you know by 
the farmer only getting a commodity price, they have to go as fast as possible and do as least amount of work to get it done. So yeah, yeah. the land suffers, the farmer suffers, and the consumer suffers. You know, no one wins in there except the middleman. Whereas if we, you know, if the farmer sells direct and can do like half the production, they can go a bit slower, they can care more, the farmer's getting paid more, the land is happier, and the consumer's getting better food. So it's like, it's in everyone's interest, bar these few middlemen that are going to lose out, but, yeah, you know, yeah, they're yeah. not really helping, you know, the ecosystem or our diets. So. And do you see a way that, that you could kind of get the best of both worlds where you do get a sort of uh, scalable marketing factor and, and knowledge and, and so that farmers can focus on what they like to do and what they're good at without having to pay off all their margin to uh, to a middleman yeah i think i think we're getting in such a good time now i, I think i actually think consumers are a good bit ahead of farmers at the moment and i think the consumers are ready for the you know the local produce directly from their neighbors so the demand is there the interest is there and then because we've got all this technology and all these different ways of direct selling now there's not that much work for the farmer to do in getting it there there just yeah. needs a link of you know someone to help the farmer do it and you know there, there's all these online you know sales models being created now where farmers essentially can just you know, dump their story into and off they go. So it's not like a farmer has to now start from scratch and figure out how they're going to sell things. Right. So, yeah. And do you think that there's enough supplies? And if you look at a uh, regenerative or maybe close to that, uh, more regenerative uh, farming, do you think there's enough supply there to, uh, to supply a, a large amount of consumers? No. Not at all. No, where if everyone wanted to wake up in the morning and eat regenerative food, we'd all be starving. So right. that's a, a big challenge. And that's where I would be most focused on with farmers is like, right, so there is a demand now for the, the local, the fresh, the regenerative, you know, ecological produced food. Like that's there and that's only going to increase. Every year people are going to realize that's where their money needs to go instead of a health bill. And I think that's not going to go away. That's only going to be more and more awakened in people. So then it's the farmers need to shift, but you also realize 50, 60, 70 year old farmers are probably not going to shift out of the conventional model uh, or a large proportion aren't going to. So the, the real thing is hopefully as those farms uh, get, you know, passed down, the kids will have changed and that's a big hope but also there is a huge movement of people who are learning about regenerative agriculture and they really want to do it and i think they're the more game changers than most people because they come at it from a very motivated different slant so it's it's about training those people up through internships and getting them really on board that they know what they're doing and then getting them access to land which is a big challenge like the training them up and the access to land are you know, big challenges, but I actually think there's probably more potential in those in that sector of people because, you know, there, a lot of people are coming at it from like you know, health issues of their their own or their family, and you know, they're really big motivators, and they're going to do whatever it takes. So, and there is models out there of um, access to land where you know there's a seven year old farmer, the kids aren't taking it over, 
and the, the, the young up and coming farmer just gets a, a lifetime lease so that the land still stays in the family. It's not like they have to sell the land, but the, we just need people access to it. Yeah. And that I think is a lot of the big stuff that needs to be done now. And my motive, kind of main task is hopefully proving or showing a regenerative farming model, but then the teaching of these keen, you know, people that want to kind of take on farms. And that's a big challenge. Like I would say in Ireland alone, you know, we need 10,000 trained up farmers, you know, within a few years. Mm. And that needs to get higher each year because, you know, there's going to be, they say over 60 or 70% of our farmers are over 60. So in, in 10 or 15 years, you know, they will be retiring. Yeah. And a lot of them won't be handing them over to their kids. So there needs to be these trained up individuals ready to do it. And I think that's down to farmers. That's not down to, certainly not down to consumers. It's not even down to governments because they don't even know what they're on about. So we need regenerative farms that exist to take on young people and train them up. And that's kind of what I would be focusing on now for the next kind of 10 years is trying to get as many up and coming people trained up. And then those trainees that you train up, a part of their training is they also have to train people behind them. Right. You know, if we train people that they have to train people, that's the kind of the yeah, model. Yeah, yeah. Sort of pyramid uh, structure. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. And, and how do you see, uh, like, how could that process be accelerated? Do you see a role there for government or like what can, what can other people do to help you to accelerate that or other people uh, like you that are doing this? Like, I think it's all happening. Like, there's no way it's going to go any other way. This, well, there's conventional crazy stuff that's happening and that's going to, we're going to go in polar opposites probably for a while. But the conventional model is, you know, it's in a dead end track of, you know, destroying ecosystems and it's really not going to go, you know, very well for them. Whereas the regenerative model, it, it works like, you know, we don't have many examples in this part of the world, but there is in the world. So I think the biggest thing that's going to accelerate um, this process is showing real working examples of the ecosystems getting better, you know, amazing produce, no inputs, um, healthy food, happy customers, and a proper, you know, bank balance. Like once all those things are ticked, there's no farmer that's going to be like, oh, that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that's a real challenge. We need more regenerative farms that are actually ticking all those boxes. And that takes time. You know, that doesn't happen overnight. So that's a real, that's the hard work. But once that's actually been, you know, showcased, I think everyone is going to want to, like, no one wants to spend money on inputs, have degraded soil, have crap food and make no money. Like, that's what farming is for most people. Whereas right. if you can show a really healthy, vibrant farm, making money and really happy customers, yeah, it's a, it's a no brainer, but it's, that's the hard work. Um, and then, yeah, I think all of it will catch up. I think the, the, you know, I don't think any change really ever happens from the top down. It comes from the hard work on the ground and then the governments will change the policy and change the grant systems. Right to support the right ideas, but they're not going to come up with the ideas. You know, they're not going to create these farms. Do you foresee a sort of tipping point where you have enough awareness among consumers, you have enough farmers trained that can pass it on to other farmers, you have enough conventional farms that are destroying themselves and going out of business, and you have then at some point the government following up, following up 
with the right uh, subsidies and, and, and regulations exactly. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, we're very close to, we, I think the only bit we're behind on is the showcase farms. You know, that is the bit that we'd be, we're behind on. We're very close on the consumers ready. We're close on the conventional model, you know, kind of crashing and the ecosystem crashing. It's just, yeah, showing the, the thriving farms maybe isn't the, quite in the, the mainstream yet. So that's yeah. going to take a bit more time. But yeah, I think it's all about to happen. Like we're not far away. Another couple of pandemics will uh, certainly uh, uh, shake things up a bit more. And it's what we need, like as crazy as it is, but it, you know, it has shaken people up to really realize what's important. And I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's, the, it's the, the mad time in history that we live in to be, you know, kind of ride that wave of change. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a it's a good uh, catchphrase, I guess, with with your uh, uh, background in surfing and farming. So, um, what, do you think this is a good time for you? Uh, like, do you see business wise a big upswing? Well, let's say from the, the results of the pandemic. Yeah, like certainly the demand is really high. Um, but it's interesting, like I've been going flat out for years and to the point where it's, you know, almost burned me out and not very sustainable. So it's really interesting that like we're at a really um, crossroads where, you know, the demand is there and it would make you think to go really fast and capitalize on the demand. But I'm actually trying to do the exact opposite and go, you know what, we're in this for a long game and I actually need to slow things down, kind of recoup and just get the the whole foundations of the business and how everything's going to work, you know, really solid because we want to then start really doing it. But if I keep going fast now and something yeah. slips somewhere and then we end up in, you know, it not working, that's, you know, that's the last thing I want. So it's funny when everything is telling you to go fast, it's the first time I've ever wanted to go slow. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good thing because you can get wrapped up in uh, the hype of something, you know, you can, you know, you can fall over or just, you know, mistakes can happen so i think it's a good time to actually slow down for a minute get things in order and then yeah i think the demand ain't going to go away like right well it sounds like a good advice in general in this uh, crazy instagram uh, tweeting twerking world that uh, yeah. everything goes fast and, and you sometimes just have to sit down and look inward and uh, decide yeah. like hey we don't need to do that no my yeah. uh, concluding question um you are a down. I'm not. I don't know you personally, obviously, but you come across as a very down to earth man and practical in your approach. But you also seem to have big vision, big dreams. Um, what is your ultimate realized potential? How does a 80 year old Fergal look back at his life and think, like, yeah, I uh, I did what I was here for? Yeah, yeah. I've got a. I always have a big vision. That's uh, it's always been the same. It hasn't really changed. But um, how I get there and how it looks in practical terms it does keep evolving. So it's it's an ever-changing kind of what the outcome looks. But yeah, for me, it's like what's the best way to create the most amount of kind of, I just use regenerative because it's easy for me, but the most regenerative impact, you know, with ecosystems and then, you know, health of our community and, you know, building communities again, like what's that what can that look like and um 
you know, there's an idea of like the farm here could get bigger and bigger and regenerate more and more land. But I'm actually coming to a, more of an understanding that's probably not a good model because bigger doesn't mean better. Um, but creating a good regenerative model and then scaling out the model where we, you know, train up farmers, get them access to land and you're scaling out rather than up and yeah, just helping a network of more regenerative farms and we just regenerate more land. Like for me, if we're regenerating more land and we're building more soil and we're feeding more people healthy food, that's, and it's, you know, building year on year, that's where I'd be happy. And it's nice to imagine like, you know, we're 60 acres now, imagine 6,000 acres and it's not, doesn't necessarily need to be our 6,000 acres. It could be anyone, but just 6,000 acres that are being managed holistically going the right direction, feeding more and more people. Yeah. And just seeing that going out all the time is a, a nice image to go to sleep at, go to sleep to every night. Yeah. Well, I can totally see that happening with the, the speed you guys are going at now already that, that should be at 80 years old, that should totally be doable. Yeah, um, I always had this idea that at 87, I might uh, stop working. And 87? Then yeah, and then for about three years, I'm going to um, kind of just walk around and just soak up, you know, the last few years, and then I'm done. I don't right. anymore. That's, that's my plan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Um, I hope I'll be there to see it happening. Uh, yeah. I want to thank you a lot for, for your time and sharing, uh, sharing your story with us and your experience. And I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time to do this. Nice one. Thank you. Yeah, and come over and visit someday. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Okay. Take care. Nice for... one. Bye -bye. See ya. Bye-bye.